Welcome to the Slavic Boat Podcast. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you enjoy this episode. I think Metro is one of the responsible parties for why traffic is so bad in the metro area. They have been pushing back on capacity improvement plans to widen highways, build new highways. And their their reasoning is that it's environmental. They think that if they constrict the roads and make sure people can't get where they need to go, that fewer people will drive, and then therefore that's better for the environment. But the way I look at it, 10 or 20 years from now, we're all gonna be driving electric vehicles. That kind of stuff. But Metro does have a lot of kind of soft influence on those things because it's it's the organization that manages all three counties. City Council, you know, there's there's Stinky Portland. Right. Then you go up a level to county, Multnomah County, and then you go up a level from that is Metro, which does the tri-county area, and then up a level from that is, is state government and then federal on top of that. So, so. Thank you, Slav. Thank you for being here today. How are you doing? Yeah, good. So I'm going to do a little yes. recap of what Slavic Vote is. Yes, uh, so thank you. I don't know if a lot of people have heard of us. Uh, yeah. I think they have. They've probably seen our logos all over the place. Yeah, for They're, those who might be tuning in for the first time. If you've seen stickers on your fridges and all kinds of memorabilia, that's probably uh, probably us. So uh, we're actually a nonprofit organization, nonpartisan. Um, our main goal, uh, we're actually three years old, so in politics we're pretty young. <laughs> We're still learning. And that's why we have our wonderful guest today is to learn. Yeah. Um, so we started mainly uh, doing registrations because we found a great need in the Slavic community. We realized that a huge percentage were citizens, but they haven't voted. Uh, like myself, I was here since 89 and uh, only started voting like four years ago. So right. that's the typical Slavic demographic right there for you. Um and then we moved on to more education, trying to educate people on, you know, what happens after you vote, you know, what can you do at a local school board, just entry positions that the Slavic community can participate in or at least go and see what's happening in their communities. Um, and then the, the third op, uh, the third point of what we're trying to kind of achieve right now is to get people activated to actually go run for positions. And we've had limited success. Uh, again, we're not pushing our specific agendas or anything like that. It's just uh, we want people to be active in their communities. So the more local, the better. You know, we're not asking people to run for president or anything like that, although you can. It's the UN United States. Anything <laughs> can happen here, right? Uh, so that's what our organization does. And, uh, yeah, we're moving Thank forward. Thank you. I appreciate it. Well, we have a guest who has been active for a long time. And uh, we met maybe, I don't know, Three years ago, several years ago, several yeah, years ago at the one of the uh, at a meeting uh, of sorts, and we had a great interaction. And uh, I learned just recently, um, you got married to a Romanian girl. Yes, uh, I consider Romanian Slavic people. Uh, she so. she was born in uh, Maramureș, which is right on the Ukrainian border. Okay, so perfect. I've been paying very close attention to the the situation in Ukraine right now. It's Has she been affected at all by any of this? Uh, well, I mean, she's been here. Uh, we she does have family that are still in Romania right. and and family, Western yeah, Europe. Her family. Um, I don't believe anyone directly affected, but uh, it's definitely pretty close to right. where her family is. Right, yeah. right. Well, thank you for coming on. Um, uh, your name is James Ball. Yes, uh, James Ball. Thank you. Uh, you're currently running for an interesting position that I think most people, when they open up their ballots um, and when they see this title, they're like, you know, they probably don't think much about it because it's 
they don't know what, what it is. And that's why I wanted you to have today is to speak a little bit about that position sure. specifically and to speak about other positions that like water boards and uh, you're running for Metro. Many from, uh, yes. And then for other positions that most people don't really think about. And you uh, are taking on that position and you're going to help us uh, understand that a little bit. Yeah. So uh, so tell us a little bit about, first of all, uh, if you can tell me a little bit about yourself uh, for our, our listeners sure. and uh, where, you, where you're from and what, what have you done before? Yeah. So I'm a native Oregonian. I was born in Portland uh, here, not too far from where we are currently sitting, actually, right. and uh, grew up in Bend. Uh, I went to college in Salem. After that, I joined the Army. I was stationed in Fort Drum, New York, uh, deployed a couple times with the 10th Mountain Division to Afghanistan, uh, came back to Oregon, got a business degree at the University of Oregon, joined the Oregon National Guard, deployed a third time with the Oregon National Guard, all three times to Afghanistan, worked at Intel for four and a half years as a financial analyst, and now I own a small garage door company uh, kind of based in Washington County. So I've got military, big business, and small business, all right. of the above. and. Uh, let me tell you, they're all very different. But what I'm running for is Metro Council District 4. And so district, they're, they're done by geography. And so District mm -hmm. 4 is basically the northern portion of Washington County, kind of north of TV Highway. And what Metro is, Metro is a regional government that sits between the county and the state level. So it, it, there are seven members, six based on geography, and then the president is at large. And the president is the mayor or the separate board? It's just the president, president the president of the, of the council. That's that's okay. the title. Yeah. So the, the seven-member board governs the three, the tri-county area, right. uh, Multnomah, Washington, and Clackamas, and kind of have a limited scope compared to other jurisdictions. So they're not making laws about different things. It's really mm -hmm. predominantly a land use and transportation planning council. They also do things like waste management. Um, they manage the zoo. They manage a couple golf courses, the Expo Center, the Convention Center, the Portland Center for the Arts. So these are all metro properties that the metro organization manages. Um, and most recently, they passed a, a bond to do uh, low-income housing and then another income tax to, do, um, to support homelessness services. So they are increasing their scope. And that's one of the reasons that I wanted to, to run for this position is that I am by nature a conservative. I believe that the government should be as hands-off as possible, you know, not completely hands-off, you know, that would, be, that would be anarchy, but generally as light a touch as possible. And when you have this organization that is really going outside their charter, outside their scope, with, especially with those two measures, um, I, I want to slow that down and make sure government focuses on what that government is good at and what their, what their core competency is. You know, when you start doing things you've never done before, there's a learning curve, there's waste, there's all sorts of things that can happen. And I think Metro needs to, needs to roll it back a little bit. Right. So, so with all the homelessness and everything that's going on that people are always complaining about, is that strictly... Um, basically by Metro, are they responsible for a lot of that? Or is there other groups, other, uh, I know that yeah. Hardesty is also oversees that. So the city of Portland spends a lot of money on homelessness. The uh, Multnomah County spends a lot of money on homelessness. Uh, Washington, Can Washington County and Clackamas County spend some money, but less because the, Por the Portland city center is really where, where it's, all, it's all focused. But the city of Portland spent over $100 million on homelessness services 
2021. And wow. so this this bond, or excuse me, this tax from Metro is basically Metro is going to collect the tax, and then the idea is then to distribute it to the different um, the different counties based on need and resources and all these sorts of things. And it just again, this is something I, I don't oppose putting money toward homelessness services, but let's leave it to the people. I, I, ideally, I would love to see it left to the people who've been doing this for a long time and know what they're doing um, and not an organization that this is their first crack at it. So we can't really change it. The, the voters the voters passed this, and so it's, it's happening. And so now what I want to do is I want to go in there and make sure that money is going in the right place and that it's going to the people who actually need it and that the projects that we're funding are actually going to help people get off the street and not like what Portland has done, spending over $100 million a year to maintain the status quo. You know, that's basically what they're doing is, is the point in time estimate of homeless people in the city of Portland has flat to up despite spending hundreds of millions of dollars. So just spending money on a problem is not good enough. It needs to be spent in the right way. And that's what I want to do. Do you see uh, an issue? So you mentioned that the uh, Metro Council, initially they were just doing land usage and then transportation. Mm. Um, were they doing those two things well <laughs> that they wanted to <laughs> add on more? Like usually, you know, if you're working in the corporate world, if the department's doing something really good, they might think of adding, you know, uh, an additional, I, I mean, well, my low-income low housing is a huge <laughs> It's a huge thing. chunk. I mean, are there like percentages like this is taking this much money versus this much money or this much money? Have you looked into that yet? Or I don't have the, the so those are both so, voter approved. And okay. So there's the I I don't have the numbers in front of me, but yeah. Um, <clears throat> I the I think Metro is one of the respon one of the responsible parties for why traffic is so bad in the metro area. Uh, they have mm. been pushing back on capacity improvement plans to widen highways, build new highways. Metro has been one of the major parties that has been pushed back against on those things. And their, their reasoning is that is environmental. They think that if they constrict the roads and make sure people can't get where they need to go, that fewer people will drive, and then therefore that's better for the environment. But the way I look at it, 10 or 20 years from now, we're all going to be driving electric vehicles. Mm -hmm. Like it just, that's the direction yeah. the world is going. It's not necessarily Tesla, but I have a friend who, who is pretty plugged into uh, GE, mm -hmm. um, Purdue, that Rust Belt area. And he says General, uh, not GE, GM, General Motors mm -hmm. has stopped R&D on the internal combustion engine. They are not doing any more research and development to wow. build a gasoline powered engine. All of their R&D is going toward electric. electric. And so that, that's the direction things are heading with or without government involvement. And so what we can do, what we should be doing is trying to speed up that transition, make that transition as easy as possible. One of the main reasons that I don't drive an electric vehicle right now is I have nowhere to charge it. It's not convenient for me to charge it. So I th that's just something that the government can do is finance or incentivize charging stations so that if as soon as charging stations are as ubiquitous as gasoline, you know, fill-up stations, yeah. gas stations. Uh, I think that a lot more people will transition to electric vehicles. 
I, th I think people like it. People want to do the right thing, especially when it comes to the environment. Yeah. And so if you just make it easy for them, they'll do it. But that requires more roads. You know, People need to be able to use the roads. And if you're stuck in traffic, uh, it doesn't help anybody. So yeah. I want to see capacity improvements on the road, and I want to see us uh, – start funding some charging stations. Well, with these gas prices, I mean, I think everybody is going <laughs> to want to get off the gas uh, cars. Right. Like I'm saying, people want to do the yeah. right thing. People right. are tired of paying for gas. But at the same time, right. you need it needs to be convenient to right. have an electric vehicle. And uh, when I think of metro, I think of automatic transportation. And we briefly talked about this before this, mm -hmm. but... Uh, I'm assuming that you're not going to be responsible for making our gas cheaper, right? <laughs> no, that's that's going to be outside the scope of, of <laughs> Metro. That's planning commission. They you know decide where the roads are going to be and build roads right. and and that kind of thing. So and I know that uh, you mentioned a little bit about like um, Peabots uh, things. Are you are you at all or that position? Are they at all working together with Peabot and uh, specifically that they work together with a lot of those agencies. Um, again, there's multiple layers of government with right. diff different jurisdictions. And so a lot of the stuff you see here in Portland, the, the lane narrowing, the, the road diets, they're calling them. So that's going to be PBOT. Um, Metro doesn't directly control that kind of stuff, but Metro does have a lot of kind of soft influence on those things because it's, it's the organization that manages all three counties. Mm -hmm. You know, there's, there's discussions. And um, again, maybe, maybe Metro can't tell PBOT what to do. But there definitely is enough communication right. that um, that there's influence there. So let, let's break it down a little bit so I, I personally can understand. So we got city council, right? We yep. Got city councilors, they do their thing. We got metro, they do their thing. Is and then there's uh, you might be able to help me with a few other and if there there's is any other county in between those. County, so county in between those. city council, think of Portland. Right. Then you go up a level to county, Multnomah County, and mm -hmm. then you go up a level from that is Metro, which does the tri-county area, and then up a level from that is, is state government and then federal on top of that. So, so. so that, is that the hierarchy, essentially? Mm -hmm. So would is, is the city and Metro, or city and county, are they, they reported all to the Metro? Nope. Or it's all separate independent? So they're all separate and independent. Uh, a lot of kind of the way that our government is structured, um, and this goes from the federal on down, is it's really kind of a bottoms-up type of, of thing. Um, there are certain laws that are set at the federal level that apply that apply everywhere, and same thing at the state apply down lower. But uh, for the most part, the it, it flows from the bottom up. And so, for instance, um, concealed carry permits for um, for handguns different whatever state you're in mm -hmm. because there's no federal guideline, and so the state kind of every state kind of does their own thing. Some are res some provide reciprocity to others. Um, and this is this is not Metro's jurisdiction at all. I'm just kind of explaining, right. but it's because it's an example of where you go state to state and the, their laws are yeah. completely different. So kind of the similar thing where there is cooperation between city, county, metro, state, but a lot of the time it flows from the bottom up. And so, you know, the city council can can tell Metro to, you know, yeah. <laughs> go pound sand if, <laughs> if they if they want. <laughs> Um, but there's also a lot, the bigger the jurisdiction, the more money they have. And so this is actually how the federal government does a lot of their control is they collect all this money in taxes and then they redistribute it to the states. And those, that money then has strings attached to it. And so if you do X, Y, and Z, we will give you money. If you fail to do X, Y, and Z, we won't give you money. And so that's how the federal government, despite not having a whole lot of hard power, 
exercises that power. Right. Um, interesting example of that, uh, there is no federal law saying that the drinking age has to be 21 years old. Hmm. But if a state were to change that and go to 18, for instance, they've cut off a bunch of federal money. Oh, wow. So it just, and, and, and the money that is totally unrelated to alcohol. It's, it's just one of those things that the federal government decided this is what we're doing, and if you don't make the same law to mm -hmm. comply, we're going to take all your money away. So Metro has some, some levers like that that they can pull with, with different jurisdictions, but being a good government you know, guy, um, I, I like local control. I, I right. prefer yeah. to allow the lowest level jurisdiction to, uh, to solve problems on their own if they're able to. So yeah. I think that's kind of what we realized uh, after the last presidential election. <laughs> a lot of people were like, "I'm done with politics," <laughs> but then they didn't realize that in this, in this, in the, in this, at the same time, that um, a lot of local elections did end up in, you know, what they matter would be, a lot. Yeah, and uh, and like you would have a lot more control, and that's kind of the beauty of the system in the U.S. is that. Initially, it was intended to be from bottom up, not the other way around. Yeah. Um, I have a quick question. Um, I know you kind of mentioned your background. You went from like uh, like you were in corporate, uh, you're a private business owner right now. Mm -hmm. What made you get up one day and say, I want to get into politics? Because this, this is where the <laughs> Slavic community is like, why, why is this young man uh, getting into politics? Uh, we know it's definitely not a financial right. thing, uh, but... What well, makes people want to run? Did you see something that happened locally that was just... Well, so I've, I've been a registered Republican since I've been allowed to vote. Um, I mostly just kind of voted. I didn't pay a whole lot of attention other than once every couple of years when the ballot came in the mail. Um, but I, I, the more I got involved, the more I started to see kind of the dis dysfunction within both parties, um, Republican and Democrat. And decided that you know everyone while people were leaving they're mm -hmm. so frustrated with what thing what are, is happening i kind of took the other the opposite approach where i was like i have i feel like i've got a lot to offer mm -hmm. and so i should come in and try to do everything that i can to make a positive impact on the community and you know do so within the republican party i think it is the responsibility of the republican party to kind of police our own and the democrats also you know, I, it, when conservatives or Republicans are fighting against left-wing extremists or Democrats are fighting against right-wing extremists, all that really does is kind of stoke the fire and yeah. create more, more confrontation and more, you know, nastiness. I think Republicans really kind of need to, need to clean up our own backyard and Democrats do the same way. So that, that was the thing that kind of inspired me to get involved. Um, this Metro's position became available. I really kind of like these wonky, odd, oddball kind of things that Metro's responsible for. And it's a nonpartisan position, so I can, yeah. I can, I don't have to run as a Republican, even though I am still registered as, as one. Uh, I don't have to worry about somebody else's platform or somebody else's ideas. You know, I can just be me. I can, I can set up, you know, set my own platform. And so, yeah. So I'm not from Oregon. I'm actually from Washington, Vancouver okay. over here across the Welcome. pond. <laughs> um, the river. Oh, I mean, I know they say like s certain positions because I know we had a couple of people run for school boards and mm -hmm. whatnot. And again, those are nonpartisan either. 
Um, but at the same time, um, you know, it still kind of seeps into because the solution that you're providing for the city. Uh, so I know that Portland is more on the liberal side, mm -hmm. which I mean, it's fine to an extent if that's what the people are voting for. Um, do you see like right now is everything kind of stacked against the more conservative in the in these positions where it's nonpartisan, but at the same time, you have more of a, like a liberal uh, yeah. kind of it, it atmosphere. Depend, it depends on entirely on where you are. Mm -hmm. And so this is something that I think is kind of a misconception. A lot of people think the best candidate wins, and that's really not the case. You know, you think you, I, you pick a sport, you know, and if you trade jerseys, mm -hmm. the same, you know, the other team wins because it's the, the jersey, you know, <laughs> the players dictate whether or not they win. The jersey yeah. just kind of is, is separates who's who. In politics, it's the opposite. The jersey determines who wins. So if you swap jerseys, you, you a lot of times you'll, you'll lose. Yeah. And that's because uh, so many people just vote party line. They vote, you know, Democrats vote for Democrats and Republicans yeah. vote for Republicans. And so you're really only fighting for three to five percent of the vote maybe so if you're if your registration is further off than about 55 45 you're mm -hmm. if you're on the lower lower end of that it's you have to be a really 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 good candidate or the other guy gets uh or the other girl has some sort of scandal mm -hmm. <laughs> and you get lucky <laughs> yeah. um, for a nonpartisan race it's a little bit different i think in my particular one i don't think there's anyone's going to be confused about who's the conservative and who's the liberal um, based on he's got a whole bunch of democrats endorsing him i'm fairly you know upfront about being registered republican so mm -hmm. people are people are going to know um what was your question? <laughs> so, I mean, the, the reason I even asked this is, yeah, yeah, the reason I even asked the question is, again, we're not a nonpartisan organization, right. but we do um, kind of try to instill in the Slavic community that, again, if look at what the person's done, mm -hmm. look at where the person's been, how he's voted in the past, you know, a couple of years versus, you know, what party they're in. And we're finding that a lot of times some candidates that are from, like, let's say the Democrat side are more qualified for the specific positions. Um, the reason this is so important with position like yours, for example, is because it affects everybody that lives locally in that district or mm -hmm. um, District 4. Um, the reason I'm even saying this is because, for example, um, uh, I actually grew up in Oregon City, okay. which is the Oregon area. And we were trying to divide land, which kind of falls under the land, land usage yep. and permitting. Yep. And I don't know, am I allowed to say uh, some words on the radio that are? <laughs> but it was really, it was impossible. You pretty much would have to get lawyered up in order to do any kind of, get any kind of movement on any kind of uh, land division or permitting. And people yeah. like people on a daily basis run into this. So we, we have a housing shortage in the metro area uh, to the tune of 70 or 80,000 homes, I think, is what the what I read recently. Wow. And so basically we have, there's there's a supply and demand imbalance. There are more people who want homes than, than are homes available. And so what happens, you know, Econ 101, prices go up, which yeah. is what we're seeing. You know, 40% increase in a year in home prices is absolutely insane. Uh, one of the, it's partially that is what you're talking about, is 
when you make it so difficult to divide land or to build on land, you know, we're talking tens of thousands of dollars just in fees to be able to even apply to build something on land. The permitting yeah. process takes months to divide land. There are all sorts of uh, accessory dwelling units are, so ADUs are like if you wanna build a small cottage, I guess, basically on your land next to your house, you, it's incredibly expensive because Portland for some reason doesn't wanna do that. So all these things stacked on top of each other, the, the permitting, zoning, fees, uh, things taking forever mean just puts more barriers in place to people who want to build homes, and so they just don't. It once once you do the math, it doesn't pencil out, and so people don't. We're, we we end up with a uh, a supply shortage. Yeah. So this is this is one of those things where decisions that we made, decisions that Metro made 10, 20, 30 years ago, are affecting us now, and so it's it's kind of frustrating because. You know, people would look at me and be like, well, what are you going to do to fix this? It's like, well, the best thing to do is go back in time 20 years and, and fix the problem <laughs> before it starts. You know, you can, you can start building houses now, but it's going to take a while to build 80,000 homes. Plus, you got to find the land. You got, I mean, there's, there's all sorts of barriers, and it's going to take a long time. So right. um, yeah. it still needs to be done, but it's not going to fix things overnight because we've neglected this problem for so long. Right. And we, you probably partly answered the, my next question, but um, you know we're, we have listeners, uh, families, and parents who have kids, and they they're concerned about you know their children and their edu- education. And when they, when they see this kind of position, I mean, a lot of times I think they check out and they don't even think how how does that affect me, or how is this important for me, and why should I even vote for this uh, position? Let alone you know this whole election. What would you say to someone like that who don't think that it's important and um, how would you tell that person, you know, this election, first of all, is important, and these positions are yeah. also important. They affect uh, that, that person as well. Yeah, I mean, a lot of what I just talked about yeah. is a lot of it doesn't affect you right away. Land use and transportation planning, right. you know, you no, nobody thinks about that as, as a hot-button political issue. Right. But wait, you know, if you do it poorly for long enough, it will start to affect you. Uh, so I would encourage those people to open up your voters' pamphlet, read about the candidates, Pick the person who think who you think aligns more with your values and and vote for them. Do a little bit of research. I mean, this is this is what's great about Oregon is they mail it to your house. You get this this packet, and everybody gets a 325 word statement, and you can see what they have to say about themselves. And it it saves you a lot of. You don't really have to do a whole lot of additional research. That should give you a pretty good bite sized chunk to tell who you want to vote for. Right. So. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I would I would encourage people to to pick it up and read it and and vote. Right, right. Our time is flying quickly, so I just want to do a quick uh, uh, sponsor plug just to thank some of our sponsors that have been um, so gracious, uh, given this uh, finances and to be here and do the work that we do. So some of the ones I want to just do a quick shout out, out is uh, Primeni Primeni is one of our uh, longtime sponsors, America Best Realty, Solution Eighty Twenty, Ciberoni. Uh, uh, and Third House Media, uh, which is one of our newest sponsors, and we appreciate all of them. Uh, we couldn't be here without them, and the work that we do is uh, crucial with their support. So if you recognize any of those brands or names and you want to support them, uh, that's always encouraged, and we encourage you to look them up and, and give some of your business to them because they, they do some good work. And Pilmeni uh, Pilmeni is obviously a big, uh, a big one in our community. Uh, do you Have you ever had Pilmeni before? You have a Romanian no. wife? 
Uh, <laughs> I would imagine she probably knows how, either how she to make might. them or she had them before. Probably. Right. Yeah. So uh, uh, speaking of Romanian and your and your wife, how, how did yeah. you guys ever meet? We met at church. Okay. Yeah, we were volunteering oh, together wow. at church, awesome. and uh, so was it a Romanian church? No, actually, <laughs> um, she grew up at a Romanian church uh, here in East Portland, okay. and I think as people hit their mid twenties, they they tend to go l- looking for. Uh, more American churches, uh, and so that's where, what she did. She started coming to, to the church that I had been going to for several years. Uh, I was working on the safety team, and she came over, and uh, I like to tell people that she saw me working on the safety team and decided, I need to go meet that guy. She gets She's not here to defend herself, so that's not true. She she got set up with me by uh, by chance, but started dating, and a couple years later, got married. Awesome. Yeah, we we had a uh, I have I met her and she's um, uh, definitely uh, a great gal. And mm-hmm. So congratulations and um, thank you. Uh, so my my next question was, um, uh, what would you tell? You know, we talked about this already. The community. You know, we're going to slowly start transitioning to close this program, but um, the midterms are coming up. You mm-hmm. know, this this position is going to be on the midterms, but specifically, I think this one is going to be also on the primary election. Uh, yes, because we talk about about the primaries quite a bit, but we don't always do a great job at maybe breaking down and what the primaries is. Um, could you do? Can you take a moment to talk a little bit about what is a primary election? Because everybody thinks about November, right? Right. Uh, but nobody ever thinks about the primaries. So uh, the one thing we always talk about is you have to be registered um, uh, in order to vote for the governor c- candidate. Luckily, mm-hmm. if you're not registered uh, with a party, you can still vote for, yes. for James or. Who's the other candidate? We're not going to tell you who to vote for. <laughs> uh, uh, but, uh, you can, but if you're not registered with a party, um, you're only going to see James and a few others, but you're not going to see the governor candidate. So that's why we make a big deal about being mm. registered with a party. Um, but talk a little bit about the primaries, uh, yeah. maybe why that is the case, and just in general. Uh, so you did a good job of talking about the partisan races. This, is, this one being a nonpartisan race is a little bit different. Mm-hmm. And so the way that Oregon does nonpartisan races is – Anybody can join. Any number of people can put their name in. Uh, for my race, there's only two. For, for uh, Metro District 1, there's only one person on, the, on that. So they're basically going to win no matter what. And what they do then is if no one gets a majority, so no one gets 50% plus one, then there's a runoff in November between the top two. So a good example of that is two years ago, the Portland mayor, there were probably... 16 people on the ballot. Ted Wheeler got 40.1%. Sarah Ayanarone got 36%. I'm making numbers up, but it's something like that. And then everybody else got less than that. And so since neither candidate got more than 50%, there was a runoff in November between Ted Wheeler and Sarah Ayanarone. And so that's similar to mine. Uh, in my race, there's only two people. And so whoever wins will necess- necessarily have 50%. So there will not be a runoff in November. This is this is the end. This is the end of my race. Is win or lose in in May, and so it's really important. Um, and that's just that's city council, that's county commission, that's metro. There's a lot of these nonpartisan local uh, positions that this is it. This is the only time you get to vote for these people, right. probably, unless you know there, it's a right. big position like Portland mayor and that gets kicked out mm-hmm. to the end. But um, it's really important, and you get lower turnout in midterm election or uh, in primaries, and uh, I think that that's that's kind of too bad because it's it's really important. Right, right, and and I I, I try to make it a big deal about the just the voting in the primaries because a lot of times we have people who open the ballots and <laughs> look at the two candidates and they're like, you know, 
where's all the good candidates? Or a lot of times, you know, where's the more conservative candidate, for example, or whatever. And my, you know, I've, when I look at the candidates in the primaries, you, you see some really, really good candidates, but unfortunately they're not popular enough or they don't have enough funding to mm-hmm. be on that uh, general election. So they lose out and they don't vote. Uh, they don't, people don't vote and they don't get to actually be in the general election or they don't win it at all. So um, that's usually how I, I try to explain, you know, these primaries um, is one the, you know, probably more important than general election a lot of times. I want to take a moment to thank all of our sponsors for allowing us to be here on this program and all of our future programs. Some of the sponsors are Pilmeni Pilmeni, Nina Martina, a real estate broker, America's Best Realty, Exceptional Homes, Dreamhouse Construction, Imperial Cabinets, Solution 8020, Gold Cup Coffee House, Red Hills Construction, Cibironi, Lanos Floral, Third House Media, and some others. Without these companies, without these organizations, we couldn't be on this program. And if you would like to be our next sponsor, reach out to us by visiting slavicvote.org. We would love to partner with you and further our mission. Thank you very much. One thing that makes these elections easier is we try to put out some material to help people vote. And uh, in the past, we've done voter guides and, you know, uh, I think you've probably been in one of them before. Because we'll, we'll talk about, uh, we'll, I'll have a question for you next. What have you ran before? Because mm-hmm. I know you ran before for another position. I ran for state representative right. in 2020. Yeah. Right. So yep. I know we, we had you on our voter guide before. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think you were, you were the top guy uh, on, on there. So people, a lot of people voted for you. Um, Thank you. Based on, based on our <laughs> voter uh, voter guide. And this year we're doing a little bit differently where we're actually endorsing, uh, and not, not us specifically, not Slavic Vote, we don't endorse candidates, but uh, we, you guys have heard before of an organization called SV Action. Lily has been uh, working uh, hard at trying to get that not, you know, organization up to then sh- so she can start endorsing. So, um, so we'll see, you know, that's something that you talk to her about, and we can connect you with Lily as well. But yeah. essentially, for, um, to, in order to vote for you, uh, or in order to make this process easier, we have these uh, tools uh, at hand for to make the whole election process easier. So, how would you? That's excellent. How would you tell people? You know, how, how would you guide people to make their whole voting easier? Um, how did you start voting, and and what made what what are some of the tools that you would have? You would recommend people to use? Yeah, I mentioned it before, but the voters pamphlet statement or the voters pamphlet is really the biggest thing. So I I mean, what I do is I will sit down with my with my ballot and I take the 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 book and I. You know, I'll look at, at a race, you know, person A and person B, and then I find them in the book and person A, you know, they gave their little statement and person B gave their, their statement and I'll find the person that I think aligns with my values and I'll, and I'll vote for them and then go on to the next race. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it, it only takes an hour maybe, but, you know, that that is much better than just picking someone because you like their name or, right. you know, maybe you saw a billboard or, you know, but actually seeing what they say about themselves. Right. Um, I mean, you could also, you know... Give you guys a plug, you know, a voter, a voter, um, voter guide for uh, from an organization that you trust is also another really good yeah. resource. Uh, you can also um, find a voter guide from a <laughs> from an organization that is completely opposite to you, and you know who not to vote for. So <laughs> I've done that before. Right. <laughs> I was like, right. oh, you endorsed this person. Oh, I'll vote. I'll vote for the other one. So you you look if if you're a conservative, you would look for candidates, for example, that let's just say. I don't know, uh, like abortion. Like, yeah, or, or, or if you, in general, like 
Planned Parenthood websites, right? If you sure. if you don't support abortion, you would look at those candidates and the ones that are supported by Planned Parenthood, and then you know not to vote for them. Right, or NARAL, or NARAL. you know some other other organizations like that. Yeah. So yeah. if they if they support one candidate, then you know right. you could vote for or right. against that one based on uh, Oregon Right to Life would be the flip side of that. You know, if you if you wanted to follow yeah. their, you know, because they endorse and they give money too. So right. those are some organizations. How do you, you, how do you vote, Yannick? What do you Me? Your I actually go through the guide. Before we had the guide uh, that Lily offered, we, we as an organization actually, um, we did a poll initially when we first started. So we got all those Slavic values, and most of them were fairly conservative. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, we actually did all the, we had a branch in Slavic vote that actually did all the filtering through. Like they literally, they would try to meet up with each candidate, call them, mm-hmm. and... Um, you know, sit down with them, and we had a couple questions we asked them, and that's what we put in the sheet and, and made a nice little graph for people so they can just kind of like look at it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so we did a 1 to 10 numbering system for them, uh, which, I mean, it kind of worked out uh, because prior to that, uh, I mean, I was like stalking people on Facebook and all kinds <laughs> of stuff because, I mean, some people, you know, I don't want to bring up the example of the person, but, you know, you would find them on YouTube or something like that, and uh, yeah, there's a lot of uh, a lot of sources you can use, but yeah, the time spent, um, especially for some of the elections, you can spend a good evening, two or three. I've actually probably spent about three evenings sometimes after work, just going through and figuring out who's who, mm-hmm. especially on um, like a lot of the national and even state uh, election lists, we would call them. Um, they don't go low as low as council members for cities or districts they don't Hmm. go that low in in, uh providing information like okay this is a conservative this is more liberal uh usually they don't the voter guides yeah Yeah. the voter guides they they, they don't go that low and that's what we kind of realized because we don't want to reinvent the wheel right (laughs) we want to use what's there already um so we did have to kind of do deep dives yeah sometimes i mean a lot of good yeah the the i'll say it again the voter pamphlet has what the person says about themselves. And so you can kind of glean what they feel their values are and what sets them apart just right. from, I mean, it, you'll get it in the mail. If you're a registered voter, the, the, the city, state, uh, or I, th- I think, no, ca- counties run elections. So the county will mail you. It's yeah. that little, you know, yellowish, very cheap paper. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's about Yellow that pages. thing. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And that's got that's got everybody's statement in it. Right. So. And, and, and I'll repeat almost uh, the endorsements. You tell a lot of things. Yes. Uh, by who is who they got endorsed. Yeah. 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 So definitely. And that's what I use a lot of times. And they're right there in that book under the same mm-hmm. person's name. So um, so that's always a great tool. So we talked a lot about Metro. Um, uh, there's plenty of other positions that are on there that are similar, maybe to the point of like people don't think they're important. Like Waterboard is a common one, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, Help me, uh, remind me a few others, perhaps, and speak a little bit about those, uh, why those are important, uh, and uh, maybe the differences. Or Yeah, so I, I'm not really an expert on some of those other ones. I mean, waterboard right. is something, I, I, I looked into that at one point, and you have to live in a very specific area, right. because there's only like different, there's a very narrow watershed or something that, that you know, is managed by that waterboard, and in Portland, they're not, they're not that many of them, and they're small in geography, so... You have to live in a very specific place to, to run right. for that. Uh, school board is a much bigger one, you know, if you care about education. Yeah. There's also things like community a community college a board right. of directors. Those are elected positions. Um, I think I ran for the PCC one last year. Yeah, 
Yeah, so. yeah, you did. You did. So uh, school board is a really good way to kind of get your feet wet, if you, especially yeah. if you have kids and you're concerned about those sorts of things. Is uh, Yeah, it doesn't take a whole lot to put your name in. Usually there's only one or maybe two people running for it. So you have a, a already a fairly good shot. If you are plugged into your community and you know people and you know you have a, a kind of a base of support, you can win those those seats. And I don't know how often I, I probably depends on which board or which school board, but you know, probably meet once a week at most right. uh, to talk about and and you know they hire the superintendent and you can kind of keep an eye on what's going on in, in right. that school district. Well uh, for me personally why I think those positions are so important. A lot of times, you know, they deal with budgets. And yeah. uh, the, this money, a lot of times, are distributed to different groups or different things, different, um, different essentially categories that a lot of times, you know, especially nowadays in Portland, they sometimes go to some radical ideas, mm-hmm. some radical, uh, you know, things that a lot of times our community doesn't agree with. And this money could have been distributed to somewhere that would be more for education, that would support more education. But instead, they go a lot of times... Uh, to just uh, some radical things uh, that we would disagree against. So, or like admi- administration is a administration huge... is definitely a big yeah. one. But like you know, uh, there's probably um, s- some things like you know having safe spaces and things like that. I mean, we're not gonna get into that, but you know, I don't know if that's probably cost money to to put together a safe space, and I don't know if the board even uh, deals with that. But that's just an example. For example, you know, they the money goes to some things that we would disagree so, with. A lot of it is similar to like a board of directors at a corporation. And so think of your superintendent as kind of your CEO. They run everything, but the superintendent is hired by the school board. The school board is kind of your, your board of directors. So the, the school board has some oversight over the superintendent, who then the superintendent runs things. They don't have day-to-day insight. But at the same time, they can direct things and they can, you know, if, if need be, they can they can fire the superintendent and hire a new one if they don't like what he's doing or she's doing. So they, they have a lot of power, but without, you, you don't need, like a superintendent, you need to have a lot of experience. You need to have been in the education field for a long time to actually know what you're doing and be effective. But as a school board, you just kind of need to have a general idea of what's going on. And then you can, if you have a good superintendent, you can rely on them to right. kind of guide you through right. the rest of it. Well, I would imagine, so. and we talked a little bit about, I uh, brought up water boards. I mean, I would imagine, uh, just from the top of my head, that the probably some of the budgeting that goes with that. I mean, I'm imagining some climate change stuff. I mean, some stuff probably, that yeah. They're probably funding some things that, again, uh, we wouldn't completely agree with. They'd probably go somewhere more effective, but. Because uh, the people who are on these boards, they oftentimes, uh, you know, have this um, idea of climate change that's a little bit too radical for mo- maybe most of us, uh, or myself at least. And then they want to fund different ideas that would go towards that. And mm-hmm. to say the least, I mean, I- I'm sure those are the things that uh, we don't know about that they do. Yeah, and so, nobody knows ha- about these positions. Right. So if, if you don't feel like you have a lot of experience or a lot of knowledge about what a water board is or even a school board, uh, don't feel bad. Nobody knows what, what they're doing. The right. first, exactly. the, the, the first exactly. three to four months they're in these positions, exactly. uh, legislature, you know, Congress, Senate, president, right. nobody really knows what they're doing. Right. They, you just kind of have to figure it out. Yep. And even though these positions are technical and nonpartisan, mm-hmm. there's a lot of politics going on in these positions. So, yep. I mean, it's some, some, some of the most, 
interesting things that go on. So when people don't think that this is a very big deal, it's it's just a waterboard or whatever. There's a lot of stuff that goes on that's political that you don't know about. And a lot of people will use those as a stepping stone to right. higher office. And so you'll see a lot of legislators who started at school board and then they went to city council, you know, small city council, and then they went to legislature. And so that's how you build your resume. And you were talking earlier about, you know, what what do you, when you're looking at candidates to support or, or whatever, you look at their their resume and what they've done, this is how people build their resume, is they start at these kind of lower levels where there's not a whole lot of competition, and then you know, they build that support, and then by the time right. they're ready to run for legislature or something, they have a much better chance at winning. Right. So you go around the city um, and counties, and you talk to a lot of people. What are the, some of the people talking about that they are uh, concerned about around the state or around their city? You know, the number one thing is homelessness. The homelessness crisis is, uh, is a humanitarian crisis at this point. Uh, you know, I, I start talking about transportation and people eyes glaze over. I'm like, didn't you get stuck in traffic on the way over here? And they're like, ah, whatever. So <laughs> they, they care a little bit. And like I said, it's one of those things that you can fix now that, that is going to take 20 years to, to really kind of flesh out and, mm-hmm. and really impact the, the people's lives in a positive way. Uh, but homelessness, that is something people see all day, every day. And, you know, we're spending, like I said, we prior to this metro uh, income tax, we were spending hundreds of millions of dollars, and now we're going to spend hundreds more million dollars. Hundreds. Yeah. Can you repeat that number again? I think a lot of people, the number that you mentioned <clears throat> earlier. The city of Portland last year, just the city, spent $117 million wow. on homelessness services. And we don't really see much change, right? There was no, it's, it's getting worse. There was no improvement. Yeah. There was no improvement. So, uh, so this, this new tax is going to provide $250 million per year for 10 years. And that's through the whole metro area, so not just. So where Portland, is this money going anyway? What what are they doing if, the, if things are not improving? Well, it's uh, a good it, question. I mean, it, <laughs> <laughs> uh, it, it's a lot of it is is um, admin health or? health and I mean a lot of it is going to admin. It's health and safety. It's um, providing socks and tents and kind of the way I see it is making people comfortable, which I don't is is important but it should not be the number one goal the number one goal should be to get, figure out the root cause of why these people are on the street and help them get over those barriers and so that they can transition back into society making people comfortable while they're living in a situation that is detrimental to their health and well-being is not compassionate you know comfort is not compassionate helping people actually get out of the situation that's true compassion, and that's what I want to do: is get people out of, off the street and back, uh, transition back into society. Right, right. And I, I don't think we actually mentioned the date of the primaries. Uh, May seventeenth. May seventeenth. Yeah. So right. ballots should arrive in your mailbox, I believe, three weeks prior to that. So look I think for the pamphlets them. Come like a week before that, even. Yes. So, so the end of end of April is when this stuff should start showing up in your mailbox. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Any, any questions before we start um, closing? So let's say somebody's listening to this radio station and they're saying, hmm, that's an interesting position. Um, what's the, first of all, is it a paid position? Yes. Okay. Uh, and then w- how much time are you thinking of this is going to, you'll have to allocate for this? I believe is it it's a full-time job. It's, or? it's meant to be part-time. Okay. Um, it's meant to be part-time. And I believe it's kind of billed at about 15 hours per week. Um, okay. I'm sure it's it'll take more or less depending on what's going on. I know that 
over this past summer, they, the Metro Council had like canceled a bunch of meetings because people were on vacation. And so I don't think they met for like two months. But then oh. in, in busier times, they're, they're meeting you know, much right. more frequently. So, um, and there's, there's stuff to do offline, not just in meetings. You know, there's working sessions and there's other stuff to, to do. So um, I think 15 hours a week is probably a minimum. Uh, and, and what do you see your first like week and month like on the job? Honestly, it's going to be a lot of learning. Like I said, people don't, nothing can prepare you for an elected position. You just, as much research as you do uh, mm -hmm. about the way things work, it just, it's different being in it and you, nothing can really prepare you for it. So um, listening, a lot of listening, a lot of learning, a lot of setting things up, getting to know stakeholders, um, and then asking questions. Like I said, why, why are we doing things the way that we're doing them? Um, how can we get started on some of these homelessness projects that I think will will help people get out of the the out of the system that they're in? Yeah, I mean, I don't want to take much more time on the subject of homelessness, but it, it is the the they say the elephant in the room, uh, just because we see it. I mean, I see the battles because I drive from Washington across 205, and I see them clean up. Mm -hmm. Marine Drive, next week it's back again. <laughs> it's back Clean again. up, then they write an article about it, and it's back again. Yeah. Um, so we see the, you know, the battle. Um, it's just people are kind of thinking, like, is politics going to really fix this issue? Uh, my question is, are we looking at other solutions, maybe like other states that don't have the issue, <laughs> and be like, can we incorporate well, this into Oregon somehow? Uh, what's, what's the issue that you're seeing, the main roadblock, I guess? Well, I think a, a, a wrong, wrong focus is the biggest thing. If you look at some of the rhetoric coming out of uh, specifically Multnomah County or the city of Portland, a lot of what they, the, the thing they keep repeating is that this is a affordable housing issue, that mm -hmm. people are on the streets because they missed a rent payment and got evicted. Or, and if we, if we just get people back into stable housing, that all of our, their problems would go away. I don't believe that. I, I believe that, and maybe that's how they got on the street in the first place, but once you're there and you're living in the cold and the wet and, you know, you're getting, a, a lot of these people are addicted to drugs, mm -hmm. a lot of them have mental health issues, you can't just take that person and throw them in a hotel room and expect all of those other issues to get fixed themselves. So you really need a, a comprehensive solution where you are bringing people into a shelter, you're addressing their individual needs, and essentially working with them to graduate from that program and into stable housing. Um, you, need, you need that temporary intermediate step mm -hmm. to, to work on these people's issues because there is no one size fits all uh, solution. You, you cannot just throw everybody in a house and, and expect it to, right. yeah. to, be, to work. So um, the idea that I've been kicking around is using something like the Expo Center, which is already, a, a, uh, already owned by Metro already managed by Metro. And so all you'd need to do is rebook the people who are already booked there and, you know, set up cots and wall lockers. You know, when I was in Afghanistan, that's how I lived, is a cot and a wall locker and a 10 by 10 square. And, you know, you just flood the area with social workers and all of the different, all of the different um, capacities that, that would be needed and, and work with people on an individual level, keep track of them, keep track of their, their medication, keep track of their appointments. And again, once they're stable enough that they can transition back to society, 
you can then that's when you talk about affordable housing or you know get them into something stable so that they can have an address they can apply for work you know job training is another thing that could happen here all, yeah. but it, but I think it needs to be all at once and it needs to be all in one location and it needs to be in a place where people aren't just sitting in tents waiting for affordable housing that never arrives because yeah. that's what we're doing and well, utilizing what we have already yeah. instead of trying to build something exactly in and somebody's you know, neighborhood expo yeah. center is an idea i've heard uh people kick around port of portland has some big buildings that are Lloyd not center, being right? used isn't that also been part of conversation lloyd center it possibly um i think and, and i don't i don't want to just like poo-poo right. on the idea but i think lloyd center has a lot of nooks and crannies that may not be that might be difficult to right. to manage, whereas the expo center it's just big open rooms. So, right. I mean, when you have a, a population that is maybe a little bit hostile and maybe wants to go find a corner to mm-hmm. shoot up or right. something, you know, you kind of minim- minimize the corners. <laughs> yeah. Well, and we one thing that I, I always try to think about, you know, I know we always it's easy to blame the government for yeah. not doing things, but can we? you know, us, maybe uh, just people or Christians, can we take part of the responsibility? Because I, I feel like, you know, as Christian or as people, we should be also out there, not just relying on the government. Maybe that's part of the problem. We rely too much on the government and we have these issues now. We have to take on some of this res- responsibility ourselves. Maybe not the church, but maybe Yeah, working with people. nonprofits, yeah. I think that's nonprofits, what, what like that. Portland heavily relied on. Because I we work with a couple homeless people um, locally and actually from Oregon. And there's there's really good programs that are already in place that they're already working. Yeah. Uh, so. Well, kind of the example that I like to use is a place called Bybee Lakes Hope Center, and it was the former former Wapato. I heard of um, that. Yeah. So they they have uh, Helping Hands is the name of the organization that runs That's it. Up at the coast. Uh, so they've got they start on the coast. The yeah. the one I'm referring to. So same organization, different facility, but mm-hmm. it's it's up here in, uh, um, I believe Northeast Portland, but it's it's kind of out of ways. And they've got this system where it's all all on site, kind of exactly what I'm talking about, kind mm-hmm. of but on a smaller scale. And they're entirely privately funded. So yeah. they, I, I don't want to speak for them. I'm not real plugged in with the organization, but I'm sure they're looking for volunteers, for money, for food, those sort of things. So, yeah, I think that was would be a way to um, to help the situation is is find an organization like that. I would caution. There are a lot of people who I believe are trying to do the right thing, but what they end up doing is just enabling. And so, yeah. like I said, we're spending hundreds of millions of dollars to basically keep people comfortable while they stay on the street. And I think it's it's important to be careful not to let that be the only thing that we're doing. And so mm-hmm. it's it, it, people, I think, default to handing out socks and blankets or serving food, or and, and those things are important, but it, it, we do them because it's the easiest thing to do. It's the easiest way to help people. Quick fix. Yeah. It's a quick fix, but at the end of the day, you're not. Their, their situation is the same as when you started. So, it, it just. It, it's. I think it's important to be careful to, that that is not the only thing right. we're doing. That we're. That we're. And and then this I think requires a bigger organization such as the government to come up with these comprehensive programs that again, work to get people off the street because right. it takes, it takes months or years to, to deal with, uh, to, to get to know a person and work through all of the trauma and addiction and mental health and get them to a place where they can, again, transition and, com- and contribute to society. So mm-hmm. that's, that's a bigger commitment than I think your average volunteer, uh, yeah. has the, 
the energy for, is there, which is fine. There's nothing wrong with that. But is there one uh, organization, one particular council uh, that's strictly responsible for this particular issue, or is there multiple, like metro and then city council? It's multiple, and so uh, this so is you can't kind pinpoint of, one particular person to blame. <laughs> well, so. It, the, the money flows to a lot of different places. And so the, mm -hmm. the purpose of this Metro tax is that Metro collects the money, uh, the counties then bid for the money, then the money is distributed to the counties. The counties then pr do a similar process where they make the cities bid on it with whatever project. They say, hey, I need a $10 million for X project. And they say, okay, here's your $10 million. And then the cities go out to different nonprofits. So they basically contract out the work to nonprofits. And every time this movie changes or this this money changes hands, everybody takes a little piece, you know. Cause, oh. And because part of it, I don't I don't want to just blame the whole thing on corruption, but it takes administration, you know. When when you're looking at bids and you're handing out grants, you know, it takes someone to actually go and and go through all that stuff. And so my frustration with this with this metro bill is you you're now at four layers. You know, it goes to Metro, then it goes to the county, then it goes to the city, then it goes to the nonprofit. So that's four different layers of government, essentially, mm -hmm. that are all taking an administrative cut out of this money. Mm -hmm. And it's just, it's money that really should be going to people on the streets rather than yeah. just getting eaten up by bureaucracy. So it sounds like in this particular example, Metro is probably holds a lot of uh, power, essentially, mm -hmm. in order to solve this issue. Yep. Is there a way to cut all those, uh, let's say those those layers, and just have Metro uh, do all that directly? Potentially, um, I I would have to. I mean, this is the questions that I plan on asking right. when I when I get elected. Is how can we cut out some of this bureaucratic middle yeah. bureaucratic middlemen? But then you're taking. You, you're, well, yeah, you're taking jobs away, but you also need... Union's not going to like that. <laughs> you need a much bigger staff at Metro because now you're you're dealing with individual projects. Instead of dealing with three stakeholders, three counties, now you're dealing with a hundred different stakeholders all vying for the same money, and, and so you need much more people to, to deal with it. Like, it's it's complicated. Right. So... But this is this is kind of what I was thinking with the Expo Center. If if Metro could sponsor a major project like that, you don't really need as all of those agencies, you know, bidding on the same money. You just you take okay, well this this chunk of money is going toward this major project, and you just have to manage that one project. Right. So I think you've got a lower administrative cost, and. I think it's. I think that the, that really is the way to help people transition back into society because right. that really needs to be the goal. It's making people comfortable and having them live on the street until affordable housing or permanent housing is available. Those two things have are, are what we're currently doing, and those two things have failed right. our our homeless right. citizens. So, well, and in closing, and we're we're pretty much wrapping up here. Uh, what, the one thing I like about you is uh, instead of. Um, just sitting and complaining like a lot of people do, you go out there and you actually roll up your sleeves and actually try to make a difference. So, you know, and this is what we try to talk about, to getting more involved, to either running for local office or looking for nonprofits to get more involved with. Just find ways to where you could plug get plugged in and actually be the change and not be just a, someone that complains. Or definitely, you know, people do leave the state and, and eventually that issue is going to be found there as well as more people move there. So... Uh, leaving or not active, being active is not the answer. Absolutely. Uh, getting involved and running for these positions or just helping 
for example, your, yourself, your, your race, for example. And speaking of helping, how, what, how can people learn more about you and how can they maybe uh, help you out more financially or uh, volunteer? Yeah, so my website is jamesaball.com. Don't forget the A. If you go yeah. to jamesball.com, it goes the wrong place. Um, <laughs> and that's probably a good place to get started. I've got my, some of my policies on there, some, some different media. I'm also on Facebook, uh, Instagram. Um, you can shoot me your email address. I'll add you to my, my uh, mailer. Um, but yeah, I think jamesaball.com is probably the best place to get started. Okay, and I know you, you're active on social media, so they can always uh, message you directly and yep. ask questions. And if they want to uh, get plugged in in your rates, for example. I've got my cell phone number on the website. If you want to call me, uh, give me a call. Perfect. I won't put it out on the air, but you can go look it up if you want. Perfect. Um, and I know you have, uh, once in a while, you have meeting greets. People can actually meet you as yep. well. That's, uh, I believe that's coming up Monday. Uh, that could be uh, that so that's that's more of the one on Monday is more of a private-ish uh, private, event. Okay. We are having another one um, on uh, on the fourth or the the seventh of April. And so, if you would like to email me, James at jamesaball.com, if you'd like to attend, uh, it's going to be out in Hillsborough somewhere. We're still working on the venue, but uh, tentatively scheduled for April seventh. That one's going to be more open to the to the public. Right. Right. So. Sounds good. Any last awesome. thoughts, uh, Eric? We're good. Perfect. Well, we, we're going to have events, like I mentioned in the beginning of the program. We, we have an events that are coming up that uh, candidates like James Ball and others are welcome to come and be there and be a part of that. And you can always meet them and get to know them a little bit. And at the same time, uh, learn something different, some, learn something new. So some of those dates are coming up. Uh, this, I want you to remember just a few dates. And you can find this information on our website. And our social can learn more about that. And all of our programs are found on YouTube social media, a website, like I said, uh, you can find everything there. So thank you very much. Um, thank you for tuning in. You were listening to Slavic Boat Live. Yaroslav, thank you very much for being here. James, thank you for coming on. Um, thank you. And we'll, we'll stay in touch. Have a great day. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in to Slavic Boat Live. I really appreciate you listening to this program. Don't forget to click that like button, subscribe, and share this program with your friends and family. We really appreciate it. Thank you very much and have a great day. Кандидаты. Стремление. Новая программа Славик Vote Life. Каждую неделю в прямом эфире. Славик Vote Life дает голос славянской общине по всей. This podcast couldn't have been possible without our incredible producer Vitaly Zaitsev. And of course, we'd like to say a special thank you to our supporters, sponsors, and contributors. Special recognition to some of our sponsors like Red Hill Construction, Pinmeni Pinmeni, Martinev Realty, and American's Best Realty, among others. If you'd like to learn how to partner with Slavic Vote, you can find more information on our website, slavicvote.org. Thank you for listening and join us next time.